please turn with me to Psalm 13. If I'm a little more scattered than usual, you know why, because of what happened last night and this morning. So keep praying for me, even through the servant, uh, as we get through it. Psalm 13. And this is a psalm, it, it's just an amazing psalm and uh, so precious because it shows that we as Christians can cry out to God very sincerely. We don't have to be afraid or pretend everything's all right all the time. When we have that pain, when we have that sorrow, we're able to, 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 to rightly, respectfully, reverently question him. Right now, he feels so far away from the Lord. The Lord doesn't despise that. He invites that as we come to him sincerely. But notice how the psalm ends. It always ends with that still, no matter what, I still love you and trust you because I know that you're my God because you've given me your faith and love in Christ. So Psalm 13, the psalmist cries out and says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest the foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's a a psalm of true faith in the midst of very difficult circumstances. New Testament reading um, to Romans chapter 12. And we are just continuing to work through these admonitions, these instructions, um, these marks which characterize the, the, the true, truly converted Christian. So I want you to really take note of this as we're going through, because this is not what your life is supposed to look like. This is what your life is in Christ. And we need to be manifesting these characteristics by his spirit as we look to him. So Paul says this, beginning in verse 9, and just down to verse 13, and we'll just be considering uh, um, verses 12 and 13 this morning. So... Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, Christian, you let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, and you hold fast to what is good. You love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I'm going to stop right there. We're just going to take little, there's a lot here. Again, it's like the machine gun approach that Paul's giving us, but we're going to take little bite sizes and really, really seek to, I really hope that you take each one of these commands, admonitions to heart as we look to Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. We do thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege, the honor, the opportunity to open your word, Lord, freely and to bring it forth. I pray because of that, we do not, we do not become slothful. We don't become complacent. We don't take 
simply for granted this opportunity that you've given us to worship you so freely, but we would treasure it. We would make the most of it, Lord God. And we would, we would love, Lord, to, to come before your throne of grace together, to sit at the feet of our Lord and Savior, our teacher, our master, Jesus Christ. So Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. Like I said, Paul's continuing to point out those characteristics that mark the Christians. And the big thing, it's a little bit of a review from last week. These things that Paul's mentioning here, they are, they're in us, okay? This is part of our regeneration. This is what comes through believing in the Lord. So when the, the, all these things should be apparent in our lives. They should be manifested to some degree. I know we struggle with the flesh, all of that. But really, you shouldn't be so much trying. You shouldn't say, well, I'm going to try real hard to to rejoice in hope. It's hard for me to do that. That's not really the attitude or or the mentality. It it should be not so much trying. I'm going to try, God. You know, help me. I'm trying. It should be yielding to him. Lord, I know what you've done for me. I know what you've given me in Christ. Let me yield and live for you in this way. Let me humble myself before you. That's how you get to these places, not by necessarily saying, I'm going to do better. I'm going to, you know, pull myself and try harder. It's more yielding to the Lord. I know what you've done for me and in me. I know this who this is who I am. Let it be manifested. Let that light shine before people. Does that make sense to you? I hope it does, because that's the force behind this. Far, far too often we think, okay, God saved us. Now we have to do everything else. Of course, we're useful in our, sancti- our sanctification. That's right. That's true. But we realize, even in our sanctification, we can't do anything apart from him. You understand? It's a big, big deal. These are commands. They're in forms of commands, but they're also reminders of the transformative power of Christ, that you are a new creation in him. You're not that old person that you were. You, Yes, this is what's expected of us, and we ought to live in this manner and show forth uh, these characteristics, right? That's who we are. Don't you long to do that? Don't you want to do that? Don't you? Yeah, if you're a true Christian, absolutely. This is how we respond. This is what we do in the circumstances of life as Christians. And when we do these things, when they come through, we are demonstrating his work in us, his work in you, and he gets all the glory from that. It shows our love for Jesus Christ, our dependence upon him no matter what, our desire to obey him, to please him, and to honor him. That's what the Christian life is, isn't it for you? Don't you love the Lord that much that you want to do these things? I know we fall short. I know we don't live up to what we ought to, but that's the point of this, right? We, we want to be instructed to live for him even more. So in verse 12, just two verses this morning, verse 12 says this, rejoice in hope, Christian, be patient in tribulation, and you be constant in prayer. Man, as I read this, to, to, to me, this is just like a, a motto for living this Christian life, isn't it? These three things. This is really what it's all about as Christians. See, Christianity is not so much about making your life better per se. To be a follower of Christ doesn't mean that everything's going to be rosy all along the way. It's, often it's just the opposite. We have so many struggles. We have so many difficulties just by being a Christian right, in in this life. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is being faithful to Christ in every area of your life. It's not just about, okay, now I'm a follower of Christ. Make my life good. Give me all the things that are going to make me. No, that's not, that. that, no. It's about being faithful 
in every area, in every circumstance of your life. So he says, you Christians, all the time, you rejoice in hope. Literally, the way that sentence is structured in the Greek, it says, in hope, rejoicing. That's what he said, in hope, rejoicing. Now, before you were a believer in Christ, or if you know those, those who do not believe, what hope do they have? For them, hope, like he said, you rejoice in the hope that you have in Christ. That's what this means. That's the thrust of this. We rejoice in that hope in all circumstances. Before you were in Jesus Christ, you didn't have this kind of hope. You couldn't have this kind of hope because it's a hope that comes from him. It's a hope that we gain as we trust in him. For the unbeliever, man, hope is what? It's a glorified wish, isn't it? I'm hoping. It's a fingers crossed perhapsness, you know? If, if everything aligns right, if the stars line up, then maybe I'm hoping. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it's kind of like fate. You do your best and kind of see what happens, hope for a preferred outcome. That's the world's way. That's how they hope. You know that. You've been there. Sometimes you still fall back into that. Well, I'm hoping it'll work out that way, right? I think... I'm hoping when it comes to eternity after this life, talk to an unbeliever. It's very arbitrary, right? Their hope is, what's your hope after this life? Well, I hope to be in a better place, right? I, I hope I've done enough that if there's a God, he is pleased with me. I think, I'm hoping there's something else there, right? So that's no hope at all. Even those who make very confident assertions about the afterlife have no assurance. They have no grounds for assurance. So in the end, it's very arbitrary. Professing believers, and when I say professing believers, you know what that is, don't you? A professing believer is one who says, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I walked the aisle. I prayed the prayer. I, I believe in Jesus. He's my friend. He's my homie. All that kind of stuff. That's a professing believer. They're professing to be Christians. They might even come to church, read their Bible occasionally, but in the end, they're not truly, truly converted. They're not truly regenerated. So professing believers, when it comes to hope, they'll talk a good game. Yeah, of course I hope. My hope is in the Lord. That's as long as things are going well. (laughs) But when trouble comes, when trouble strikes, when desperation is before them, what happens to the professing Christian? See, that's, that's the difference. That's where you see where their heart really is. They quickly lose hope. And you know people like this. Yeah, I believe in God. But once that trouble comes or once difficulties come, trials come, He's, you need to live a certain way for the Lord that means denying yourself completely. What do they do? They fall into deep despair. Wow, man, I don't, that, I'm let down by God. God has let me down. I can't even trust him anymore. Is any of this even true at all? See, that is Matthew 13, isn't it? That's the scattering of the seed. And it's that seed that was scattered where? In the shallow ground, on the rocky ground. Yeah, at first it's cool. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I love God. Yes, everything's good. But as soon as trouble starts, as soon as persecution comes, what does they do? They melt away. They turn away. There's no hope for them. But for you, for you, Christian, there is hope. In hope, rejoice. That means that we could be thankful and we ought to be thankful in every circumstance because we have consolation, don't we? Because we know where our end is. We know what, we know what awaits us in Christ. So we do have comfort in the most difficult of times, the most difficult trials. We don't lose our faith. We're thankful for the sure hope that we have that's grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the promises that belong to us, don't they? We have that hope. 
Sure hope. It's a sure thing. So Romans 8, 28, this kind of hope is what we have as Christians. That's why he says, in hope, rejoicing. We're happy. We're thankful because we have this hope. And we know. Do you know this? Do you believe this? If you're a Christian, you absolutely do. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. That's hope, man. That's hope in the most desperate situations, the most trying times, most difficulties you have. Second Corinthians 4, 17. Luke mentioned this in his prayer. For this light momentary affliction, that means whatever you're going through in this life, whatever trial, whatever situation that's difficult, whatever hurt, pain, persecution, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's hope. That's the hope we have. So whatever befalls us in this world, in this life, we know, we know with surety that it's preparing us for this eternal weight of glory, this heaviness of hope that we have. First Thessalonians 4.13, you know this passage. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. A person who doesn't have hope. Do you ever go to a funeral of an unbeliever? It's 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 a mix. I mean, people are really sad, but they don't have hope. They're kind of, again, it's arbitrary type of thinking. Oh, he's up on the golf course right now with God, and he's sitting in there. He's looking down. He's waving the terrible time. No. But that's what we want to project because we want to have something there because they don't have sure hope. So that's a sign of their hopelessness. They're just kind of wish fulfillment type of thing. Or they're just mourning and they can't be consoled, right? There's in such mourning, especially come from an Italian family older. And there's just that more, there's no consolation. There's no comfort for them. There's no hope. They can't say, yes, he's, he's in the presence of his savior. They're, they, but that's not like that for you, is it? We know when the Lord takes one of us home that we grieve. Of course we mourn. Of course we feel sorrowful. But we have hope. We know that they're in the presence of the Lord. That's the hope that we have. That's why he says, you and hope rejoicing. We have that no matter what. One more. First Peter 1, 3 to 5. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to what? to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's in the person and work of Christ that our hope is anchored in. To an inheritance, this is the hope that is imperishable. You're suffering right now, that's what's awaiting you, an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and kept unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's waiting for you. This is the hope that we have. Do you believe if you're a Christian? That's why Paul says, in hope rejoicing. What's going to separate us from his love? Nothing can. You who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be, real, re, to be revealed in the last time. That's the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. In other words, nothing that happens to us here can rob us from the hope that we have there. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? That gives you a whole different mindset on facing trials, on going through difficulties, on enduring, in, enduring those kinds of things that we hope. Rejoicing in hope. And again, it's a sure thing for us. I know we get caught up. Well, I, I kind of hope. No, 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 no. It's a sure thing. It's freezing out there right now, isn't it? I mean, it's a nice group that we have here. Even because it's so cold, I'm surprised as many people made it. It's a cold day now. But what, do you, what are many of you looking forward to, to coming in the next couple months? You're looking forward to, we have the hope of spring. 
right? See, this is kind of the, we have that hope. It's not here now. It's tough out there. It's cold out there. But we know that spring is coming. It's not, well, spring might not come. I'm hoping spring comes. Maybe it'll come if I, no, it's coming. It's just a matter of when. That's the hope we have. That makes all the difference in Christ. That's why he says, Christian, rejoicing in hope. Do you do that? Or do you just break down, just give it all up and go, oh, God doesn't help me. No, no. We have hope in him. Then he goes on, it follows, and it just, so it does follow. He says, in tribulation, be patient. He goes on and says, uh, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Again, in the original, it says, in, pa- in tribulation, patient. That's all it says. In tribulation, patient, especially for the Christian. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that we won't be afraid during tribulation or trials or difficulties. Of course, we will be, that there won't be sorrow. Of course, there will be, there won't be loss. There's going to be loss, anger, anxiety. Yes. But it does mean that we, and here's the difference, man. It acknowledge, we acknowledge and we rest on God's sovereignty and his providence in all these situations. That's what makes all the difference. Right? Unbelievers don't have that. Professing believers think they have that, but they don't. You do. In Christ, you have that. We acknowledge, we know that everything happens according to his purpose, for his glory, and ultimately for our good. You know that? Do you understand? We understand his providence. His works of providence, his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving, governing of all his creatures and all his actions. Do you believe that? Yeah. Sometimes it's good providence, and we're thankful. Amen. Sometimes it's hard providence. The Puritans often spoke of hard providence, man. A major loss, major difficulty, major struggling, but they always acknowledged God. That's our hope. So, oh God, where are you? No, that's our hope. And you know what that does for us? It helps us to endure patiently without too much angst, right? There's going to be angst without too, without too much complaining without becoming bitter towards God or angry towards God or resentful towards God because we know he's sovereign. We know this is in his providence. So in tribulation, patient. And you know what else? We don't feel too sorry for ourselves. Oh, woe is me. Oh, how come this always happens to me? Oh, why can't this be happening? Oh, but that takes that away. That No, if you know. In that tribulation, that he is sovereign and that he is faithful, it causes you to lean in on him, right? That you are sovereign. This is your providence, Lord God. Now, again, instead of cynical questions, there's a place for sincere trust, trusting questions, like we just read in Psalm 13, absolutely. But listen, man, this is what it means as you trust in him in this way, as you, as you endure patiently through the tribulation. What do you say in that way if you're a Christian? If you're not a Christian, it's like, okay, God, get me through this. I don't even want to think. In those times, in those difficulties, as hard as it is, you've got to be asking yourself, Lord, how can I serve you best in this place that I find myself? Can I show embitterment and, and not rejoice with others rejoicing and be upset all the time and, and just be languishing in my... Or can I say, yeah, this is a hard time. This is a hard providence. But I know God is sovereign, and I know that he's teaching me something through this. So, Lord, what are you teaching me? And you know what a great witness that is? You know what an amazing witness that is when somebody's struggling and suffering through a difficult time, and you just see their trust in the Lord instead of like, 
Again, I'm not saying perfect trust. We all have our moments of doubt. That's not what I mean. But just kind of this given over to that's it. It's all over. I'm a Christian, but I have no hope. And I'm just not enduring. And I'm not doing well. And I'm right. When you're a true Christian and you see somebody enduring that pain and enduring that struggle with grace, that gives you, that's comforting. We're talking in 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when Paul talks about being comforted with the comfort that the Lord gives us, so we comfort one another. It's not just, hey, I've been through what you've been through. I can understand that. I had cancer. That's okay. That's cool. But you know where the real comfort comes from? It comes from that person who's going through those trials and is resting and relying on the Lord and not complaining and not becoming bitter. And you see that in a fellow Christian, and that gives you comfort and hope, doesn't it? When we read about Paul enduring the punishments and the pain and, and the persecutions and the false accusations, that's where comfort comes from. In trials, patient. Again, if you're merely a professing Christian, you're going to be, you know, God let me down. Don't do that if you're a true Christian. You can't never do that. That's like blasphemy to say, you know, he let me down. And he never leaves us down, ever. Accusatory questions. You know, why does God have to do this to me? We blame him. God, he's so good. Why does he let this happen? He's so strong. Why is he doing this? He doesn't want me to. That's professing Christian talk. That's unbelievable. That we're not there. I asked him to deliver me. He didn't. So I don't know if I can even love him or trust him. See, that's professing Christian talk. That's not truly converted Christian talk. Right? That's why. You see why it's a motto for us? <laughs> Absolutely. And then he goes on. One more. In prayer, devoted. He says this. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Patient. Enduring it. He's going to get you through. Uh, be constant in prayer. Again, in the Greek, it's just this. In prayer, devoted. I love it. So, just right there. Now, it's not just in desperate times that we pray. Again, for the unbeliever, when you were not a believer, when did you pray? When you were just desperate. Right? The old saying is true. There are no atheists in foxholes, foxholes right? If there's a, the, that's totally lost on the younger crowd. <laughs> <laughs> In war, if you're in a foxhole, you know, the enemy's coming at you, you're going to pray. You're going to pray to God, God, get me out of this, right? Even if you're an atheist, you're, you know there's God, and that comes out in the foxhole when your life's on the line. That's what that means. There are no atheists in foxholes. But that's, what I'm, that's when we pray to him, right? Or we'll do the bargain prayer, right? I know it's something I used to do all the time. God, if, if you get me out of this, Lord, then I'll do this for you. I'm, you know, I promise I will. How many of you have done the bargain prayer? That's unbelievers. That's, you know, when you're not... Your friends, you know, I talked to the big man upstairs and I told him that I'll change my ways if he will. Merely professing Christians. Here's the deal. And here's the difference. I've been praying. I've been praying to God and he's just not answering me. Merely professing believers' prayers oftentimes are selfish prayers. Me, me, me. It's always about me. Supplication. Circumstances. I'm not saying you can't pray for yourself. Obviously, pray for yourself in your situations. But that's the focus of the, I want God, give me, give me this, give me more, give me my health, give me my wealth, give me this, give me what I need, give me this. Please, me, me, me. That's professing Christian prayer. The shallow prayers, not heartfelt prayers. Right? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. Let's eat. 
That's a shallow prayer. But for you, for you, if you're in Jesus Christ, we have an attitude of prayer, constant in prayer. That's what he's saying. Pray without ceasing, Paul says elsewhere. Of course there's time for formal prayer. Absolutely. We should have concentrated prayer during your devotions or we gather for prayer time. We have that. But for us as Christians, it's praying all the time. It's an attitude of prayer. Do you have that? Is that part of your life? That's a manifestation of this. That's in you by his grace. Be yielding to him so it comes out. Don't be prideful. Be prayerful. Pray to the Lord at all times. Man, I know some of you. I talk to you. I know myself. But when I'm driving in the morning, you'll see a beautiful sunset. Or driving in the morning, see a beautiful sunset. Wait a minute. Reverse that. Beautiful sunrise. You got the Willy Wonka thing, huh? A beautiful sunrise. What do you do? You thank him. You praise him. That's thanksgiving. That's part of prayer. Lord, thank you for this. Look how amazing and awesome you are. Your creation. I thank you. That just comes out. That's, that's a constant attitude of prayer. If I'm going on a visitation, I'm praying, Lord, help me to say the right thing. Help me to bring comfort to these people. Help them, help me to give them what they need from your precious word that they might find comfort and rest in you. Of course, we're praying all the time. Interceding. All day long. Throughout the day. For me, with sermon preparation, absolutely. Bathed in prayer, personal prayer. Lord, keep me from willful sins. Keep me from temptation. When I do sin, give me a heart of confession. We're praying all the time. That's how it should be. Just throughout the day. In prayer, devoted. It's given. It's part of you. It's moment by moment. And it puts every situation in his hands, rightly so. It's dependence upon him. It's our will being shaped through prayer to him to, to, to be in accordance with his will. That's why we pray. We don't change his mind. We're changed as we pray and conform ourselves and be, and we're conformed as well. In prayer devoted. Right? Isn't this amazing? That one verse is like a motto for the Christian life. I think it is rejoice in hope. That's what we need to do. We have our hope no matter what. Be patient in tribulation. That's trusting and resting on him. Be constant in prayer. Those are three biggies right there. That's amazing. But there's more. A little bit more for this morning. Uh, verse 13. He goes on. And now he gives a, a, a demeanor, an attitude that flows from our, our newness in Christ, but even from uh, verse 12. He says this in verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints Seek to show hospitality. Man, that's amazing. Um, as you realize who you are in Christ, as you realize all you've obtained, all the riches that you have in Jesus Christ, these characteristics will manifest themselves more and more. See, as you yield yourself to Christ, as you learn more, as you lean into more, as you seek him more, these things are going to flow. So you don't have to try. When people say, I'm trying, I'm trying, it's an indication to me that, okay, you're reading and you're saying, i got to do better, but you're not really... Um, there's not a depth there because the depth comes when you're saying, look, I know I can't do this in my own. My, my flesh doesn't, I don't want to be giving. I don't, you know, prayer's hard. But as I submit, as I yield myself to Christ, as, as I'm, I'm engulfed by his love and, 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 and his word, then this is what comes out. Capiche? That's the deal. So it's not like we're working. We're cultivating. We're, you know, prepping in the, the ground in that way. 
So he goes on and he says this. Um, for the needs of the saints, this is the literal, for the needs of the saints, contribute. Okay? For the needs of the saints, share, be generous. That's behind this. Um, I think even in the church, we still have a very worldly view of money. Um, for sure, especially in, in the context in which we live in. It's really hard to get away from that. Why? Because it's mine. I make the money. I work hard. I, I'm honest. I do my job. I get money. It's my money. And I get to do what I want my money. So if I want to, you know, take care of my needs and my family, do that, plan. If I have extra, I'll do what I want with my money. Now, there are a lot of people who aren't believers that contribute. They just contribute to all kinds of needs, causes, you know, very generous in, in many ways, I guess, in that way. Um, but it's arbitrary again. If you're not a believer, then like like I said, you just give to who you want. I think this looks good. That's a worthy cause. Oh, my dad had heart disease, so I'll give to that association. You know, that's that kind of thing. It's It's arbitrary. For the Christian, it's mandatory. Do you know that? For Christians, you contribute to the needs of the saints. That's not a suggestion. It's not It's not something you can maybe think about doing. It's something that you're commanded to do, absolutely. It's a mindset that we have, that our money is not our own. It comes from the Lord, and we have to have priorities with it. So Ephesians 4, 28, it's a beautiful, beautiful passage. It speaks to this. This is the mindset, and this is really hard. This is going to touch home. I know it's going to be sensitive for, for many of you, for a lot of us, because money's a tight subject. But check this out. He says... He's talking to conversion, and I know he's pointing out the thief in particular, but the principle applies to all Christians, all believers. He's saying, look, if you were a thief, if you used to steal before you were a Christian, that was how you made your living, well, you stop doing that. Rather, you go to work. You go to work with your hands. Be honest. Honest work with your own hands. Why? So that you may have something to share with anyone in need. Wow. That, there it is. That's the guy. That's the mindset. Now, is that all? No. We know from other scriptures, obviously, you work so you can have money for your family. You can have money to, to, uh, have a house, all those things, purchase, um, you know, pass on to, to your, to your family. And, and there's that freedom there for sure. But, you're constrained by this. So when you're planning out your budget, you can't just be saying, okay, hmm, I got my budget. Here's what I have. Here are the, the financial goals for this year. And here's what I'm hoping to do in the future for the kids. And here's my retirement fund. I'm all done. No. No. You cannot think that way if you're a Christian. You shouldn't think that way if you're a Christian. Those other things are just fine and dandy, but it has to come back here. Do I have something set aside for those in need? And not just your tithe to the church. That that's nice, but there needs to be that sack, that look, here's my mindset. He says, to the needs of the saints, contribute, right? First Timothy chapter six gives us instructions to the rich. So this is all tied in here. Do turn with me, please, to first Timothy chapter six in your Bibles. It's really hard to give. If you're just arbitrary, if you're just like, hey, man, I'm just going to do what I want with my money, that's very unbelieving type of thinking. Professing believing Christian is like, yeah, I know, I'll, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm not, you know, I'm going to just, if I see, if I feel like it, if it's worthy enough, you know, then I'll do it in that way. True Christian says, I'm going to contribute to the needs of the saints. Let's do it. So, uh, Paul says this as he's closing the letter, his first letter to Timothy, and he does say, he does address this. He says, with godliness, there's con- contentment. I'm, I'm sorry, but with godliness, contentment is great game. We brought nothing into this world, verse 7. We cannot take anything out of the world. 
But if we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Again, that would basically be the professing believers, right? I love God, yeah, but my money's more important, and here's my need, and here's what I'm going to do, and that will eventually take you away from the from from the faith as the gospel demands are pressed upon you. Okay. Then he goes on to say, verse 17, he says, Timothy, and this is tough for poor Timothy. This is tough for any pastor. So I'm so glad that Paul gives us the command and instruction to do this. So I can say, Paul tells us to do this. This is from the Lord. So here's what he says. As for the rich in this present age, you charge them. That's, that's very strong language. Charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides with, ev- with everything to enjoy. Now listen, they're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. That's exactly what Paul's saying here um, in Romans. Thus storing up treasures for themselves and a good foundation for the future, that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Do you see that? That's the, that's the attitude that we need to have. That Those are instructions for us. And don't, and don't ever think, oh, I'm not rich. Or, yeah, I mean, definitely there's people that are struggling and you could be in a difficult situation and hurting, that's, that's for sure. But by the standards of living, especially you compare them around the world, we, you know, a lot of people from a lot of different places would say, you're, you're rich. <laughs> okay, so just... Keep that in mind. First uh, John three seventeen eighteen. Here's the admonishment. Paul says, "If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love abide in him?" Do you see the connection to what Paul said in Romans? Man, you be generous you, to the needs of the saints. You contribute. You do that, and it doesn't matter how wealthy or if, even if. Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. And if you don't have much, we still want to contribute. He says, he goes on and says, "Yet closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him?" Little children, let us love in. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. One more. James, this is the warning, of course. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed, I hope everything works out, be filled, without giving them the things they need, what good is that? See, that's not who we are in Christ. Christ gave us everything. Christ clothed us. Christ, He became poor so that we might become rich. So when we give generously, we're just demonstrating the richness that we have in our salvation through Jesus Christ. Money doesn't mean that much to us. And we see somebody in need, we're going to be willing to help in abundance. I'm not saying money doesn't mean anything. It means something. But it's not the most important thing, to be sure. It comes down to a spirit of generosity. When he says, to the needs of the saints, contribute. It's a spirit that comes from thankfulness, knowing full well everything that you've received from Jesus Christ. Remember 1 Corinthians 4, he says, what is it that you have that you've not received from God? Well, nothing. I've received everything from God. Okay, so who are you to boast, right? Because you didn't, you know that God gave it to you, so you need to be ready to share. We need to be generous. Again, these are things we cultivate, but if you're a Christian, you're going to want to be generous. You're not going to hold out. Even if, even if your nature was tight, you know that? We're still, we, we want to be, okay, so, so there's a need. Some people will give like two-thirds to help those people out. This, these are kind of like the legalists. They'll say, I have enough to help. We have enough to help, but we'll give you two-thirds of what you need, so you just have to work for the rest of it somehow, right? Christians will say, hey, we'll meet the need exactly. We'll give you just enough for that need, okay? Here's the, the thing. We'll give you just enough. Okay, that's fine. That's cool. 
But you know what? That spirit of generosity says, you need to take three. Okay? Take three. That's okay. That's, that's what we do. And I get this in part from Jesus with the loaves and the fishes. Do you remember when, when he, when he provided for the needs? He didn't give them just enough. How much did they have? Everybody was satisfied, and then there was leftovers. There were 12 and then seven baskets that were left over. That's the spirit of generosity in that sense that we need to have, that we're willing to go, not just, okay, I'll get you almost there when I'm able to get you way beyond that, or I'll get you just there, but here, here. That glorifies God, and when somebody's generous like that, that just humbles you, doesn't it? It just does. Be generous in that way. And it's not done to win over. We're not trying to win anybody over. Um, you're not trying to place people in your debt, never ever in that way. That, that's not what contributing to the saints means. It's not playing favorites. Well, I like this guy. He's kind of earned it. That's silly. That's not biblical. That's very worldly. That's what the world does. This guy earned it. You know, he's the one. I like this guy better, so I'm going to help you more. Man, that's partiality. There's no place for that among God's people. We do it without expectation of reciprocation. We're not worried about people paying us back. We're not worried about, you know, okay, well, I did this for you. No, you, we don't keep that little record book. You have a record book, you take that and you burn it. Because Christians don't keep a record like that. We don't do it to earn praise. I helped that guy out. And we're like the Pharisees. Remember, they gave their alms so everybody could see them. That's professing Christianity. That's not true Christianity. We do it with the spirit of the Macedonians. Remember, we talked about this last week a little bit. At least we read the, the passage. The Macedonians were poor little church. Corinth was a big church and, and a wealthy church. And there was a need. There was a famine in Jerusalem. And they needed finances. They needed resources. The church, the churches in Macedonia said, what? We want to help. Paul says, out of their poverty, they gave beyond their ability to give because they loved them so much. It was more important for their brothers and sisters who they never met, who they ever knew, to have food than it was for them to have money and resources at that time. That's the spirit that comes out when you yield to the Lord Jesus Christ. It will come out because it's hard to make that come, isn't it? I know. We know. It's hard. <laughs> you can't do it in your own strength. That's the whole point of all of this. All of this is because of him. It's not the expectation, it's not the exception, but the attitude we're to have. Now, finally, lastly, um, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Again, this literally in the Greek, it reads like this, the love of strangers practicing. So not only do we contribute to the needs of the saints, but the love of, love for strangers practicing. That's what that literally means. It's translated to seek to show hospitality. Now, he's not talking about the, about the gift because a lot of us get, like, we cop out, right? Oh, I don't have the gift of hospitality. And that's true. Not everybody does. Certain people have a real gift for hospitality and they're able to, that's not really what, uh, is, is being emphasized here in this passage. He's saying, he's talking to the saints. He's saying, all of you, all of you seek to show hospitality. And notice he says seek. It doesn't mean kind of, okay, the per, uh, if they come to me, okay. It's like, do you need a place? Do you need something? See, that's hard. We can't do that on our own strength, many of us. But when you yield to the Lord, when you look to him, 
Because it's in us, because it's because of our regeneration. This is who we are in Christ. You know what hospitality does? You know what it does? It's absolutely loving gift for all of us to, to demonstrate because it demonstrates the love, the care, the compassion, and the comfort of Jesus Christ. And it should be common for all of us, not just people with the gift of hospitality. They're just gifted, and that's good, and they could do it easily. But all of us should show the compassion, the care, the comfort of Jesus Christ, shouldn't we? To friends and to strangers. Seeing your home, again, this is a mindset that we have a very Americanized mindset. We see our home as what? Our home. It's my home. It's my place. It's my castle. And I, okay, and that's true enough. But at this time and throughout the ages, Christians always saw their home not just as a place for their family to have, but as a place of refuge for others, a place of warmth, a place of comfort, a place of safety, a sanctuary, safe, warm, inviting, comfortable, a sanctuary. Are we like that? I don't know. When I was in the Presbyterian church, we used to have uh, Presbyterian meetings and we would stay, if we went to another city, we would stay with people in their, in their homes. For the most part, it was wonderful. And you felt this. You felt safe, warm, invited, comfortable. But there were a couple times where it was just really, really hard. It was like kind of walking on eggshells, like, do these people even want me here? And it's like, okay, you could sleep over there, and you can have this, and you could do that. When there's, when there's a spirit of hospitality, it's like, what do you need? What do you want? Here's what I have for you. Do you need something else? Do you understand? That's the spirit that we're cultivating. That's, and again, this is not, it's not, we're not doing anything special when we do this. It's just who we, who we're called to be. A spirit of hospitality, even if it means that your routine gets messed up. Okay. Even if it means putting you out of your comfort zone. We are serving and we're providing for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, it might be anything from inviting a person from church, you know spending some time, or a person need a temporary shelter. You're ready to do that. I mean, not everybody's necessarily ready, but are you ready to, like, hey, we have some space here. We know you're in a bind and a jam. Of course. You're, you're having trouble there. We could, we, yeah. It's going to be hard. I mean, our routine's going to get messed up, but show hospitality to brothers and sisters, to, to the strangers. Might be that. It might go all the way to Corey Ten Boom who showed hospitality to the Jews who were being hunted by the Nazis. She made her house a safe place, a sanctuary, safety for the strangers. That's a beautiful example of what Paul is getting at here. Seek. You're not passive, but it's active. Okay. You feel guilty now? No, I'm just teasing. I don't want to. That's not the point at all. Convicted? Yes. Guilty? No. It's hard. The unbeliever, everything we talked about, these are just arbitrary. Totally up to him. You know, totally up to her. I'm just, I'm going to do what I want with my money. It's mine. It's me. It's mine. Whatever. I'll pray to God when I feel like praying. It's very arbitrary. There's, there's not. The merely professing Christian, you know what it comes down to, guys? Bottom line, it's too much. It's too much. Go and sell everything that you have, and then you come and follow me. It's too much. Drink my blood and eat my body. Many left. 
It's too much. That's too hard. He's asking too much. That's the professing believer, the people that follow along just for the benefits in that way. Too much, too hard. Don't have that kind of faith. No, you don't. But as for you, as for you, these are the expectations. Because of the transformation. I'll say that again. These are the expectations because of the transformation that's taken place in you if you're truly in Jesus Christ. He's given us this. And they're accomplished, once again, not as we try, not as we force it, not as we work at it, but as we yield, as we trust, as we simply obey. Right? This is what he calls us to do. I'm going to obey him and trust him with the outcome. We cultivate, we nurture, but we obey. In the end, all of these model Jesus Christ, Christ our Lord, who did rejoice in hope. He knew the hope that awaited him and all who believed in him. He was patient more than anybody in tribulation. See, so this mirrors our Savior. It's not just, okay, as Christians, he's the model. He's the source and he's the model for this. Who did more good than Jesus Christ? Who contributed to the saints more than your Savior? Not just in saving us, but actually going out and touching, healing, giving. And who shows more hospitality than Jesus Christ? I go and prepare a place for you. If I prepare a place for you, I will come back so that you'll be with me. All we're doing is modeling our Savior. All we're doing is being who we already are in Christ. Do you understand? 